to the book of Hebrews chapter 11 from verse 24 to verse 29. I know, I see it. Brought, a, brought an analog Bible into church. Wave that around. Look at that big thing. Praise the Lord. Another one. There's another one. Pastor's wife brought a big, what did we say last week? Big honking Bible. Praise the Lord. I know the rest of you got your devices, so you want to click your way to uh, Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to continue, this is part two of a two-part message entitled Forward Faith. There's a huge difference between belief and faith. People have beliefs, they can remain static, you can have believed something, it becomes part of your belief, your belief system. We like to use that terminology. But faith is entirely different. Faith is now. Faith is in the moment. Faith is you acting on what you believe in the present moment at any given time. So unfortunately for us, too often of the time, Jesus, his word, is relegated to beliefs. But God's called us to faith, and that's why it's called the spirit of faith. So the title of this message is Forward Faith, because faith is supposed to have progress. We ought to be progressing in life through our faith. Beliefs don't advance anything. It's faith that actually moves you forward. And um, to it, probably one of the greatest illustrations of that is the little synopsis here of the story of Moses between these verses in Hebrews 11, 24 through 29, they just give us a little consolidated picture of Moses' life and how the Lord engaged him at 40 years old. And until the, until the Lord took him up, he walked in forward faith. And what the faith that that man walked in, what it did for himself and those around him. So uh, I'm going to begin reading. There's eight words in here that we're going to identify. They are eight essential steps to living or progressing in forward faith. Let's start. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years or grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ to be greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he had respect for the recompense of reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn of Egypt should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as if, on dry ground, which the Egyptians attempting to do later were drowned. And so these eight steps represented in these eight words are, in that very first phrase, faith, by faith. Moses refused, choosing, esteeming, forsook, endured, kept. And notice that by the time they get down to that eighth step, passed, and talking about passing through the Red Sea, it goes from the singular, referring to Moses, to the collective, they all passed. And so this is the story, the great story, of how the forward faith of one man, Moses, advanced an entire race of people. 
And in this story is contained eight essential steps that we must all take if we are going to ourselves, advance through life into God's promises, and bring other people with us as we advance. And so, you know, God has given all of us, like Moses, the ability to speak to others around us. I know that the Lord is our shepherd. Jesus said in John 10, My sheep know my voice, another they'll not follow. But sometimes people hear the voice of the shepherd through you. And so God wants you to advance in his purpose and call in your life. And also, he's given, uh, he's given you a voice, his voice, to be able to uh, be his representative to other people. So let's just quickly review the things. Last week, we looked at the first five of these eight steps. And this week, we're going to look at the last three. The first one, by faith. The Bible says that by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, or when he grew up. And so, remember that last week we said that entering the path of forward faith begins with a decision to grow up. You know, whether you grow up at 18, 28, or 58 years old, the fact is, is that coming to years is not a numeric destination, it's a moral destination. Some people don't grow up until they're 68 years old. Some people never grow up. Because it's coming to the point where you understand life from God's perspective and you make a moral decision to be accountable for God's will in your own life. And Moses came to that at 40 years old. That was his first decision that put him on the path of faith. Secondly, the Bible says he refused. The first step, the actual first step in that forward faith walk is a negative one. It says he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So that first step on the path of forward faith is refusing to continue in your present condition. You remember last week we talked about, then the Bible says he chose, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. So moving forward in faith, requires choosing what you need over what you want. Moses made choices, and they were negative choices uh, so far as his own flesh and the uh, personal comforts of his life, but they, they caused him to progress into God's purpose and will, and he eventually leads an entire race of people into God's purpose for their life. Number four, esteeming, evaluating. Um, the Bible says he esteemed the reproach of Christ to be greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. And if you're going to pick up your, if you're going to follow Jesus, Jesus said you have to pick up your cross and follow him. And the only person who's going to pick up the cross and follow Jesus is the person who sees that it leads to greater riches. And we're not talking about earthly riches, but it, there's greater value in having the favor of God than having the favor of men. I'd rather be wrong in the presence of God than to be right in the presence of men. So to move forward in faith, you must learn God's value system. And we talked all about that last week. So you need to choose the reward of God's favor over the favor of men. And then finally last week, we ended up with the fact that the Bible says that then he forsook. And the believer needs, and it says he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. So the prince of Egypt turns his back on Pharaoh and the courts of Pharaoh and that entire structure and value system. And he says, you know, I'd rather hang out with your slaves than to be a, your son in your court. 
And of course, that was absolutely going to produce the wrath of God against him. The Bible says he didn't fear the wrath. Um, he forsook Egypt because he had esteemed that the, the value was greater in having God's favor than men's favor. So moving forward in faith requires forsaking the things that oppose what God is bringing you into in your life. This morning we're going to begin with step number six. By faith, he, re, he refused, he chose, he esteemed, and he forsook, and now the Bible says he endured. And some of you may wonder, why am I not enduring? Why is it that when I... Uh, um, take a step forward, quote, in faith, that I don't seem to be able to stick with it, I don't endure. So listen up, and let's find out what's involved in enduring. The Bible says he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Forward faith, if you're going to walk in forward faith in this life, it requires endurance. It requires endurance in order to push through the resistance that Satan's going to rise, raise up against your forward progress in God. If you choose to enter the path of forward faith, if you're going to walk by faith and walk with, walk with God, walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, have that blessing and the, the benefit of God's moving in your life, there is going to be resistance. The very moment that you make the decision, resistance is going to rise up against you, and it's going to take endurance because faith is a fight faith is a battle faith is a fight you don't drift through life by faith you fight through life by faith so forward faith is a fight and it's one that you absolutely must win by overcoming the obstacles that satan puts between you and god's will that's stretched out in front of you first timothy 6 12 most of you are familiar with it it says Fight the good fight of faith and take hold. Everyone say take hold. I want you to think of something. Um, you know, I can possess, or I, uh, not possess, but I can own that water bottle. Um, I got this water bottle out of the refrigerator and I put the little N on it. So we know that's my water bottle. But there's a difference between that water bottle being mine and my taking hold of it. I can't sit it there and enjoy the water that I need simply by encouraging myself that I do have a bottle of water. What do I need to do? To have the benefit of it, I need to take hold. And that way I can access. I have a certain amount of control. So in order, God wants you to possess eternal life. Eternal life includes peace and healing and all the blessings and promises of God that Jesus has promised in our life for those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so Paul writes, fight the good fight of faith and take hold of eternal life to which you were called. So God has called you to eternal life, but you need to take hold of it. It's not enough just to have your name by grace written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lord wants you to walk through life with victory. And in order to have that victory, you need to take hold of it. In order to take hold of it, you need to fight the fight of faith. We defeat the objects to forward faith, the opposition that the enemy raises, with endurance. 
Sometimes you need to just stand against the enemy. Resist the devil, Peter said, and he will flee. Submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. So there is a fight to faith, and it's the one that you must win. First of all, let's clarify endurance. Endurance is not gutting it out in your own strength. Endurance is not your toughness, because some people are tougher than other people. This has nothing to do with your personal toughness. It's not the strength of your determination that this particular endurance that Moses had or that you need to have and that's going to cause you to take hold of eternal life, take hold of the blessings of God. It's something different. And if I could put it in some kind of a, a classification, I would have to say this endurance is actually the power of the Holy Spirit working through you against the enemies of your faith while you remain focused on Jesus. So while you've set your vision, your determination, your affection on Jesus before you, looking to Him, the author and developer of your faith, keeping that vision in view that God's put before you, putting one step in front of the next, you're going to run into resistance. While you're looking at Him, the Holy Spirit furnishes an anointing, if you will, of power through you to break down the resistance of the enemy that stands before you. That is endurance. It comes from God. And that's why the Bible says, fight the fight of faith. Fighting the fight of your determination is not going to cause you to overcome. It's going to take the fight of faith to cause you to overcome because you need God's supernatural impartation for you to endure. Nobody's going to endure to the end without the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Can you say amen? So 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18 kind of speaks to this when Paul writes, For our momentary light affliction, I think sometimes I've thought, God, you, you are really kidding. This is a light momentary affliction. But in contrast to the blessing that God's bringing into our life, everything we go through is a light momentary affliction. By the way, they're all momentary Trials come to pass. They don't come to stay. They come to pass. And uh, so Paul writes, Our momentary light affliction is producing for us an, an eternal weight of glory. And mark that word producing. Our momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison while... We look not at the things that are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal or earthly or passing away. But the things that are not seen are eternal. And I love the fact that he uses the phrase, our light affliction as we go through them is producing this eternal weight of glory but it's only while we are keeping our eyes on Jesus, while we are looking to the Word of God and to His promises. When we look away, we disengage, we disconnect, we're looking at the waves, we're looking at the circumstances, complaining, grumbling, in fear, um, and uh, 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 nursing our doubts and anxieties. Everybody has doubts. Everyone has anxieties. Faith is not the absence of doubts. It is the insisting on keeping your eyes, your emotion, your confession locked on Jesus in spite of those fears, in spite of the doubts, in spite of the anxiety, I'm going to stay faithful to what God has said. 
So the Lord's not scanning your soul and saying, I see a little doubt in there. That's it. You come back when you get that thing straightened out. That's almost like saying the only time you can have courage is when you absolutely have no fear. But men and women have faced some of the worst circumstances in life with tremendous courage the whole time terrified. And so it is acting with courage in faith in spite of the doubts and fears that you're facing at the time. So when we go through these things, Paul says, it will produce for you a greater weight of glory while you look at the things that are not seen. Look at the invisible things. And I just want to point something else out to you. I, I noticed many years ago that Paul doesn't say that it'll produce for us the looking to the invisible, looking to the, to the Lord, looking to the Word of God, looking to what is not immediately naturally visible to us, but certainly is real and eternal, the truth of God's Word. It doesn't say that while looking to that, it produces for us an exceeding weight in glory, but it says of glory. In other words, it's not, I'm going to go through all this suffering, but it'll be worth it all in the end when my, this life is over and I'm in glory. Now that's certainly true. The Bible says, eyes not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of men. The things that God's prepared for those that love Him. But that's not the glory we're talking about. For the scripture says that looking to Jesus, looking to the Word of God will produce for you a greater weight of glory. Which leads me to believe that he's talking about God has a glory that He wants to manifest now in your life while you're looking to Jesus. He wants to produce a greater weight of glory. And without going too far off the path, let me just simply say that the word glory is a spiritual term that refers to function. As I've said many times before, when the eagle soars, he's in his glory. When the salmon is leaping up the water ladders to the spawning grounds, he's in his glory. An athlete running and winning a race, a pole vaulter, uh, a mighty warrior, they're in their glory when they're doing their thing. You take the eagle, you plunge him underwater, he's not in his glory. Every glory has an environment. It only does its glory in its environment. You can't throw the fish up in the air and expect it to be in its glory. It can't swim in the air. Our environment is the presence of God. Our environment is the Word of God. And we were designed in the image and likeness of God to rule and reign in life. And we can't do our glory unless we're in the presence of God, unless we're before Him and our heart is tied to Him and we're walking in His love and looking at Jesus. And, and so, because we couldn't get there, nobody could get there, He came here. He came to us because we couldn't come to Him. He brought the glory to us because there's no way that we could come to that glory in and of ourselves. So the idea is that while we're looking to Him, He's producing while we are enduring against these trials a greater weight of glory. In other words, of function. Just like the eagle soars. What does God do? Well, His love triumphs. He fulfills. He brings peace. And so the Lord has a God glory that he wants to bring into your life, into your situation as you go through these things, but it's while you look to him, while your eyes are on him. So let me, I've shared with you two verses that have to do with endurance. I've shared with you the verse that says, fight the good fight of faith, take hold of eternal life. Take hold of eternal life. And I share with you the verse that says, 
your momentary light affliction is producing for you a greater weight of glory while you look at the things that are not seen. So take hold of the call of God. Take hold of the life that you're called to and look at the unseen. Those two things involve endurance, producing endurance in our life. But let me ask the practical question that you should be asking if you don't already know the answer. And that is how? How do I take hold of a calling? I could take hold of that bottle because it's physical and it's right there, but God has called me to eternal life. How do I take hold of that? I can't touch it with my hands. So in what way and by, by what means am I going to take hold of eternal life? And how do I see what is invisible? How do I look at the things that I know are real and true, but they're not available to my natural eyes? I can't see them. How do I take hold of the call and how do I see what is invisible? I do it because they are accessible to me in the Word of God. It is by taking hold of the Word. It's by seeing the Word of God, believing God's Word, acting upon God's Word. God's Word provides the handle to God. That's why the Bible says Jesus is the Word made flesh. The Word of God brings Jesus to me. Faith in God's Word. And so if I could put it in practical terms that you could actually do, I would say that you take hold of eternal life, you see what is unseen by declaring what God's Word decrees about you. A decree and a declaration are similar, but there's a difference between them. A decree is a legal statement. A judge makes a decree. God has decreed certain things. Nobody's going to rescind his decrees. No one's going to undermine them. Nobody's going to overturn them. God makes a decree. That decree stands. But who is declaring his decrees? A declaration is the announcing, the establishing, the uh, imparting of a decree that has been made. A decree has legal force. But until people declare the decree, until they establish it, the power behind that decree cannot enter into the circumstances in your life. And so the scripture says in Psalm 2, verse 7, I will declare the decree that the Lord said to me, quote, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And God has decreed certain things about you. Are you declaring what God has decreed about you? In order to endure in forward faith, you need to declare what God has decreed about you to have the endurance to move forward and to progress. Can you say amen? John the Baptist, in his walk of forward faith, he took hold of his calling by declaring what God decreed about him. In the first chapter of the Gospel of John, the Bible says the Pharisees came to John the Baptist. And he was baptizing in the River Jordan. And uh, they didn't like it because he had circumvented their process, didn't graduate from their schools, wasn't operating with their approval. And so they were sort of stroking their beards and watching him and having an opinion until they could think of a way to confront him. And when they finally confronted him, they confronted him with this. They said, who are you? 
What do you have to say for yourself? The devil's always going to try to get you to sink down into yourself and make this about you and draw you into a struggle about yourself. So they said to him, well, who are you? And give us an answer so that we can answer those who have sent us. What do you say about yourself? John the Baptist's answer was absolutely brilliant. And it's how he was able to endure and progress forward in his calling. He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah decreed. They knew what he was doing. He was quoting the decree of Isaiah. And he was saying, that decree I declare about myself. What Isaiah said he was talking about me. And so he completely bypassed the opportunity to argue with them about his qualifications, who he was, or even how he felt about himself. He spoke not how he felt about himself. He might have been terrified as they sat there judging him, and he might have been irritated that they were, had, the, had the audacity, knowing they were a bunch of hypocrites, but he completely set all that aside. He didn't respond to how he felt. He responded to, with what God's Word said about him. And he declared the only thing that had any power to make a difference in his life, the decree of God. I am the voice, hallelujah, of one that is in the wilderness. Praise the Lord. And so the next thing that uh, in this journey that Moses did was he endured. And he endured by looking at the words that God had spoken to him and standing upon them and acting upon them and was able to endure, hallelujah, and progress forward. Number seven, the Bible says, and Moses kept, everyone say kept. Moses kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood. You remember the story, if you haven't read it recently in your Bible, you probably saw the movie. Um... All of the plagues have come upon Egypt, and still Pharaoh is hanging tough. He's still saying, I'm not going to let the Hebrew slaves go. These people are my, they are my economy. How am I going to build these pyramids if I don't have these Hebrew slaves? Are you out of your mind? I'm not going to let them go. But God had sent Moses, and he said, you challenge him. You tell him if he knows what's good for him, he's going to let my people go. And so all these plagues have come, one, two, three, four, five, six, they just keep coming. But still, he says, all right, I'll let them go. And then he thinks about it and he changes his mind. But finally, there's the last plague that comes and it, and it breaks him. And that was the death angel swept over Egypt and took the life of the firstborn in every household. But if you remember the story, God gave Moses a specific instruction he said, I need you to go tell Israel, everybody get your family under the blood covenant. Because as the death angel passes over, he's going to drop down on every house the night that he passes over. If you are under the blood covenant, he will not enter your house. He won't touch your children. And so he said, all of you, I want you to have that Passover meal and then put the blood of that Passover upon the doorposts and the lentils of your house, the death angel will pass over. And the Bible says, by faith, 
Moses kept that covenant. He kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood. He kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood. And all of the Hebrew families were spared the wrath of the death angel. Now what does this mean for us in our forward progress in faith? Well, actually it means everything. This is a make it or break it, non-negotiable point. Because if we miss this point, we literally get knocked off the path of forward progress in God. The enemy eats your lunch and it's all over with. And this seventh, <clears throat> this seventh step is what I call keeping covenant. He kept covenant with God. And here's the way you want to think about this. God's plan to deliver Moses and the Israelites depended on God breaking Pharaoh's will. Think about it. God wants to break the devil's will concerning you. You feel like, some of you feel like you've been in a lifelong battle with certain things. Struggle with certain addictions, fought with certain inner weaknesses, come up against a repetitive series of circumstances that just keeps coming at you throughout life. Your, your youth, your teen years, your 20s, your 30s, 40s, 50s, you go through life, this thing just keeps coming around. It's cyclical. And you want to break this thing. God sent Moses, but just sending Moses was not enough to affect the deliverance of God's people. The Pharaoh was dug in, and the enemy is going to be entrenched and dug in against you. And in order for you to be delivered... God has to break Satan's will. Amen. Let me say it again. I'm going to try English. Uh, God needs to break the devil's will against your life. And he wants to do it. In order to do it, you must keep the Passover or keep covenant with him. The Lord will intensify every plague. He will go from one intense outpouring to another until finally the breath, the attitude, the will is gone out of the enemy and he moves over onto the other side of the street and just lets you pass by. He sees you coming, he pops a couple of maylocks, takes a BC powder and crosses the street to the other side. He won't even mess with you anymore. He's had it. He's broken. Instead of him breaking you, wouldn't it be nice for you to put the devil on medication instead of him putting you on medication. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Instead of you breaking and crying, you've got the devil in a heap on the side of the road crying. He's, he's just can't take it. He's tired of messing with you. God wants to break his will. You can't do that yourself. But God can do it. You must enter into that blood covenant and you must keep that covenant because God's plan is to deliver Moses and to deliver you and in order to do it, he's got to break Pharaoh's will. In order for that to happen, you have to enter and keep the blood covenant with God. So that, so that God, and listen, here's the key. The reason you enter the blood covenant, and let me just say, without going into big long explanation, the blood covenant is what makes you and God one. The blood covenant in ancient times took two separate parties, brought them together into oneness. Once they became one, the assets and the liabilities, 
The assets and the enemies of one became the assets and the enemies of both. Combining together. That's, by the way, what a marriage is. We take on one another's assets and we take on one another's liabilities. It's now our fight and it's now our victory. When we enter into blood covenant through Jesus Christ, whose blood washes away our sins, that made us children of the Most High God, we are covered in His blood. We have His name. There's a oneness between us and God, which means this, and this is why God told Moses, get in your house, put the blood over that house, because what's going to happen is, when you get under the blood covenant, it causes God to treat Pharaoh's resistance against you as resistance against himself. When you walk in the blood covenant, when the devil fights against you, God sees it as his fight against the blood covenant. When he attacks you, he's attacking the covenant. When he fights you, he's fighting the blood. Do you understand what I'm saying to you this morning? Listen as Isaiah describes it. Chapter 49, verse 24 and 25 in the book of Isaiah. Can the prey be taken from the mighty or captives from the tyrant be rescued? But thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken and the prey of the tyrant shall be rescued. For I will contend with those who contend with you and I will save your children. Ooh, glory to God. See, God wants to contend with those who are contending with you. God wants to fight with those who are fighting with you. When you get under the blood covenant, you belong to him. He's with you. You're part of him. So when the devil comes after you, he's coming after the covenant. And so the Bible says that when he entered that forward faith and began to move out in God, and God was sending one attack after another upon Pharaoh, he said, if you're going to really get through this, you need to stay in that covenant. You need to get in fellowship with me and stay in fellowship with me because then not only will you endure and the things that are falling on the enemy, I'll deliver you from those things, but I'll, I will personally take his assault against you as an assault against me. You know, that's why it's called the fight of faith. It's a fight of faith because... You can bring a gun, I'll bring Jesus. You can bring bills, I'll bring Jesus. Sometimes the enemy brings all those bills. By the way, how many of you know, sometimes the devil didn't rack up all those bills. Who racked up all those bills? So at any rate, the devil can bring the circumstances of life you bring Jesus. I can't fight this thing alone, but guess what? Jesus can handle it. Praise the Lord. He faced death. He faced the grave. He resurrected. He knows how to fight the fight of faith. Amen. So to maintain the momentum of forward faith so that God can contend with those that contend with you, you must keep your covenant with God active. Too many Christians are allowing their covenant with God to lapse into believism rather than keep it active day by day and moment by moment with actual fellowship. It's the actual fellowship with God that keeps your covenant active. You can't defeat Satan with beliefs. You can only overcome, not with beliefs, 
But with faith, you can't defeat the devil when he comes against you by saying to him, well, I believe, this is what I stand for, this is what I believe, because he will beat you up with your own beliefs. But it's active faith. Faith is acting on what you believe. If you really believe that you are the righteousness of God in Christ, when he comes at you with those weapons, what are you going to do? You're not going to say, hey, I don't believe this is right. This shouldn't be happening. What you're going to do is you're going to just begin to pray and bless the Lord and worship Him. You're going to get into the Word of God and, and look for what God's Word says about this immediate battle or struggle that you're in and raise that Scripture up as your shield against the enemy's darts that are being tossed against you. So to maintain that forward faith, progress, God wants to contend. God wants to contend with those that contend with you. So keep covenant with Him through that active, unbroken fellowship. And the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24 and 25, we have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and the sprinkling of blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. In other words, when Jesus comes into your heart, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You have come to a better covenant. And His blood speaks better things than the blood of Abel. Abel, who was the first murder victim, his blood cried out from the ground for vengeance. And that's what happens to us when we get knocked down in life. Somebody ought to do something. We start protesting because these terrible things are happening to us. But how many of you know in life you could protest till you're blue in the face? But you can't cry over spilled milk. You can't unspill the milk. But God can do anything. Amen. God can get you beyond any spilled milk. He can get you beyond any failure, any breaking. And so the blood of Jesus speaks better things than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel says, hey, somebody, this isn't right. Put, the, put, the, put my life back in me. Or just go get my brother and punish him for what he's done. In other words, put the milk back into the bottle. But the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. We have sinned. We've exposed ourselves to failure and to brokenness in life. But the blood of Jesus says, I'll cancel all that out. I will wipe out your sins and I will give you my blood. The blood that is righteous before the Father. I'll give you the sonship that that blood brings. And make you to be a child of God. The blood of Jesus calls for mercy, grace, forgiveness, and love. Somebody say amen. amen. So keep looking to Jesus. Keep. Moses kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and he kept it. Finally, number eight. The Bible says that after faith, Refusing, choosing, esteeming, forsaking, enduring, after keeping the Passover, all these things, the scripture says they passed through the Red Sea as if on dry ground. The day of passing is coming. Somebody say praise the Lord. When you enter that path of forward faith, you're traveling on God's highway of miracles. When you walk in forward faith, you are able to see things that you shouldn't be able to see. You're able to, 
do things that you shouldn't ordinarily be able to do. The Bible says they passed through the Red Sea as if on dry ground. You shouldn't ordinarily be able to walk up to a river or a sea and have it part and walk across on dry ground. That's normally not done. But when you walk in forward faith, God will bend the rivers. God will change the circumstance. God will make the way where there is no way. You know, we like to, we like to talk about we, we need the Lord to pour out miracles. We, we long for the day when, when the signs and wonders were flowing. We want to see the supernatural. It's not in the rearview mirror, people. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. If you want to pass through the seas of life on dry ground, then take those first seven steps and get on the forward faith path of righteousness, walking with the Lord, walking in fellowship, communion with Him, because that's God's highway of miracles. When you advance in forward faith, you go places you ordinarily could not go, like through the middle of the sea. You see things you shouldn't ought to see. You're able to see things as God sees them. And you're able to do the things that you could never do before. How many of you remember the story of Philip, the evangelist? The Bible says in Acts chapter 8, verse 39, that the Spirit of God snatched him away and dropped him in the middle of the desert, or snatched him away from the middle of the desert and brought him to another, another town. So you can do things you ordinarily wouldn't be able to do. And in order for that to happen, we walk in forward faith. I'm going to close and I want to say this. Now you are walking in forward faith with the Lord. You're walking in these eight steps and you're advancing through life until one day it's going to bring you into His eternal glory. Step by step, advancing every step of the way. Life has a purpose. And God wants to bring you into that ultimate purpose. People like to say, well, you know, I think the important thing is the journey. And that's true. I, I think that's, to a, to a certain degree, the journey is uh, certainly part of life. But um, anybody who says that the destination is important isn't going anywhere. They're just walking around in circles. A journey has a destination and everything is about arriving. Everything is about getting to that place. And God wants to bring you into His glory. He wants to bring you into that place that He has provided for you. Before Jesus left, He said, In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it weren't so, and the word mansions doesn't mean what you're thinking, if you picture a mansion in your mind. It means an abode, a dwelling. In other words, God wants to receive you as His son and His daughter. I don't know what eternity holds but the Bible says, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of men the things that God's prepared for those that love Him. If life is filled with purpose and beautiful things and wonderful things aside from all the rough stuff, then how much more eternity will also be filled with purpose? Think about this. Jesus said to uh, the disciples as He was instructing them with parables, He said, I've, I've delivered a certain number of talents a certain amount of money, a certain amount of talents, and asked my servants to spend their life working with this and multiplying. And it says that when he came back and reckoned with them, he said, I gave to you five talents. Now you are faithful to multiply them as ten talents. Enter into the joy of the Lord, and here are ten cities. 
to rule over, which was his way of saying eternity is going to have purpose. There's going to be work involved, maybe not strife and struggle, but there's going to be progress and purpose, which makes me happy because when I think about just floating around on a cloud, playing music forever, I just want to go right out of my mind. Um, but the idea that there are things to do in eternity, and this is just a mere foreshadowing, is to me exciting. And so the walk of forward faith will bring you to that place. And this morning, for the Christians, those that are saved, you've heard this message, there's no use in me re-preaching it or going over these points. There are those eight points, get out and do them. I told you last week, the way to deal with this message, take it, use it as a gauge on a regular basis. And look at your own life, go through these eight steps, and it will jerk the slack out of you. It will help you, it'll encourage you. But for those that don't know the Lord, have not entered into that path, let me say to you this morning, you may believe in Jesus, you may have beliefs, but deep down in your heart, you know that having belief in Jesus is not what Christianity is all about. There's definitely more, and the lack is evident to you. What you're craving and what you need is real, genuine faith. That is the moment by moment in the present communion and connection with the Lord. That sense that He's walking in me, I'm walking in Him, and those beliefs are not just beliefs, but they are an active relationship. So you need to enter that life of forward faith. Stop kicking the can down the road. Stop saying one of these days I'm going to get right with God or one of these days I'm going to make a decision. There's th still things I want to do. That's Greek for saying I haven't been beat down enough yet. Because, let's face it, that's really what people are saying. They're not really saying, I want to go out and have more fun, because when you walk with Jesus, it's fun, it's fulfilling, it's rewarding, it's wonderful. It's simply saying, things haven't got bad enough for me yet to surrender to the Lord. So, please, don't, don't let it get worse than what it already is. Some people say, well, it's not that bad. If you're not walking with him, if you don't know him, like my wife used to say when we first met, well, you're dead, you just haven't fallen over yet. And that is so true in life. It's amazing what we will put up with in life. God has called you to a better place, a better life, Amen. a better love. Stand with me. Close your Bible.